Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are steering the ship through some treacherous waters. Waters that, we gotta be honest here, they've been capsizing ship after Bundesliga ship recently. Uh, Leverkusen and Gladbach, they have run aground. Hertha are taking on water. Schalke, they've capsized, they've cracked their hull, they're currently on fire. With me this week to rescue as much of this league as we can is Nick Veldhagen. How are you approaching this mission, Nick? <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, we've had a bit of a hectic news weekend, so um, I'm currently considering to, to take some uh, medication to stay calm and collected in in the face of all of these things i mean when friday night came around i you know my only worry was that night was coming down fog all around and the beast was leaving his bloody home smell of blood in the air yes martin hinteregger was at the Weserstadion. more on that later on but you know ever since friday night things have gotten in crazy crazy town. Yeah, there is storm, there is drang going on in the Bundesliga. We're going to try and get through all of it. We'll be looking at the massive personnel turnover at Schalke. How could we avoid that? The rather more modest changes going on in Bielefeld, puzzling conkouts happening to two Champions League aspirants at the worst possible time. And because we need some positive news too, uh, the, the sudden consistency of the Red Bulls. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day that has just gone. This was match day 23. We're very much in the business end of this season. We're maybe, you know, about two-thirds of the way through, so we know a lot of things. And as we mentioned, since we know a lot of things, a lot of clubs are starting to get a little bit worried, a little bit of trouble is brewing across the league as those preseason expectations everyone had are inching ever nearer to not even close to being realized uh, for a whole slew of teams. But before we dive into all that muck, and believe us, there's, there's a lot of muck, let's start with a real cracker of a match that went down in Leipzig on Saturday evening. One that I think sent an important sign of resilience to the rest of the league about the old uh, Rasenballsportlers. Just as their opponents on the night, Borussia Mönchengladbach, had done to Bayern München not so many weeks ago, RB went down 2-0 in this game and then somehow thrashed their way back to a 3-2 win. A deserved win at that. Nick, do you want to talk about the mess that uh, RB got themselves into first? Or do you want to you know, talk about the big comeback? <laughs> well, in the first half, it felt like Upamecano was there as in by an agent as he gave away a completely needless penalty. Yeah. And then he deflected the header of Marcus Turam into the goal. Uh, obviously, he, I would put it down to the fact that he was maybe a little bit over-eager. Maybe, you know, it shows a little bit that he maybe hasn't gotten the calm of somebody who's played three, four hundred matches at professional level. So, you know, he gave away a needless penalty and yeah, that deflection he can do nothing about. So, RB Leipzig really unfortunate because Lapa scored from two out of two chances. RB, uh, they created enough chances in the first half to score at least once, but didn't get there. And uh, as it turns out, Alexander Zerlot, uh, the Norwegian, yeah, yeah, has now been crowned as Nagelsmann's new wonder weapon by Bild. I mean, yes, he had a goal ruled off by out 
it got ruled out by VAR, he had an assist, and then he got the decisive goal. But come on, it's been sort of like 17 matches and he scored twice. Yeah, how did he really turn this around? I mean, we, we've been talking about him ever since he, he turned up at uh, Leipzig, talking about that he was a little bit unlucky or that at times he didn't sort of integrate very well into the system there. I mean, this has been a transition year as good as it has been for Leipzig considering the you know the departures that they that they had over the summer i mean what is it that made him so key in in turning this game around uh i think he really seemed up for it and he was really mobile he was popping up on the wings he was uh, he seems to be getting better and better along with Nagelsmann's idea of playing football and Nagelsmann has been highlighting him positively over the last few months as well saying that you know i still believe in him i shows what he can do in training sessions his day will come and yeah as it turned out Julian Nagelsmann for once at least was right yeah yeah, I find this an extremely encouraging game, not only just because you look at the the basics of it, going down 2-0 and then fighting your way back to win 3-2, but the way that RB, despite <laughs> despite both of their goals being a, a bit of a, a pratfall in both cases, I mean, it was a, a poor penalty to give up, and then, you know, a, a, some, something of a soft header, they didn't lose their cool. They basically looked better throughout this game, even even being down 2-0. They, they had the sort of run of play. They were controlling the game. And they played like they knew that. I thought this was super encouraging for us to, you know, if, if we're looking for a sustained title push from this team, and I think most neutral fans are, even if we have serious uh, reservations about RB, it looks like pretty likely we're going to get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they do have a few matches before the match against Bayern. I mean, they're taking on Freiburg, Frankfurt, and Arminia Bielefeld. The biggest pitfall for them is probably going to be Frankfurt there. But, you know, up until that point, if if they take as many points as Bayern, they still have the des- their destiny in their own hands. And, you know, to say that at this stage of the season is kind of refreshing. I mean, they are within two points of Bayern München. So, yeah, definitely in with a chance. And that match on match day 27 is, is probably going to be a rather fiercely contested affair if, indeed, RB Leipzig manages to just be two points behind Bayern München. Yeah, interesting, interesting constellation going on in terms of, of who is playing whom, when. We had a question, actually, from, you know, something of a third party, let's just say. This is from Bay ATL, you know. Hello, Atlanta. They want to know, how likely is it that we're going to get RB on top of the Bundesliga come uh, the end of next weekend? And and I think what he's referring to there, and we'll probably be talking about that some uh, down the line, but, you know, Bayern do not have a very easy match coming up next week. They're home to Dortmund. Dortmund seem to be, you know, playing a little bit better lately. And uh, Leipzig, as you said, they are away to Freiburg, which is not very easy, especially for them. Freiburg is a bit of a bogey side for them. But, you know, on paper, they should win that game. Yeah, they should. I mean, both teams should win their matches on, on paper, especially given by how Dortmund have fared over, over the last few weeks and months. But, you know, Dortmund have found some consistency. And hey, Dortmund have actually done rather well against bigger sides in the in the league. So that Dortmund's match against Bayern is probably the biggest banana peel out of the two of them if I had to pick one of them. So, you know what? I say chances are wrong. Yeah, I mean, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet on it, but I cannot exclude it. I like that. I like that. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think the chances are certainly not 
they aren't favorites to be top next week, but I think, um, you know, with, with the right roll of the ball, it could very easily happen. Before we dip too far into that subject, we were going to be talking about the game that some call Der Klassiker at some stage. I do want to talk about the other side of this result, which is to say Gladbach. Gladbach certainly would have gotten their hopes up leading 2-0 in Leipzig especially, you know, not putting in the greatest performances, but, but you know, having that cushion. They blew it, as they have done on a few occasions lately, especially as the rumors swirled more and more around Marco Rosa, as Marco Rosa made it public that he's leaving, he's moving on. This team seems to be sort of in search of itself again, and this is not a good time for that. They're down to ninth place in the table. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate this. They're, they're only four points off of sixth place, which is, you know, Europa League qualification. But I think they're in uh, a little bit of trouble. And I, I also think, you know, the, the the future that they have set up for themselves, I mean, Adi Hütte from Frankfurt seemed to be their first choice in terms of, of who they'd like to take over. He said he's not going to do that. He wants to stay at Frankfurt. If they're not in the Europa League, uh, some of these alternatives, you know, the, the young boys coach, Gerardo Seuane or uh, Jesse Marsh from uh, from RB Salzburg, you know, is a, is a team that finished eighth, ninth place in the Bundesliga going to really catch their fancy? <laughs> well, in that case, you have to look even further down the divisions and maybe go for a young, unproven coach who has a massive upside, who is sort of to be tip to be among the the up-and-coming coaches and take a bit of a gamble what Schalke did with Domenico Tedesco a few years ago now that worked out well for about a year and then it didn't work out well and look at where Schalke are now <laughs> so no big but um <laughs> so no big not 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 at all we'll get to Schalke in a moment you know what that will have the resources they have the panace they have the history they have you know it's an off season for them and some coaches might look at that and say, well, in that case, the pressure might not be as big as it would have been otherwise. You know, if they would have qualified for the Champions League and you come in after Rosa, it would have been a tougher act to follow after, you know, not qualifying for the Europa League even. And given that Gladbach probably can say, okay, we hold on to most of our best players for another year at least. Yeah, then sure, why not take over Gladbach after all? Because the upside is going to be, if you reach the Europa League or even better, it looks like you have had a brilliant season. Sure, sure. You know, I, 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 really do, I, I really do think that Gladbach will still be an attractive job, especially for coaches who are looking to get into the Bundesliga. I mean, many coaches who, who enter that league, you know, if you don't enter at the top, if you're not like a big name coach going to Bayern or Dortmund or something like that, you often have to sort of prove your mettle at a really iffy job, you know, a, a job that's, you know, sort of laden with landmines like Schalke or, or Cologne or, or Hertha or something like that. So, you know, taking the Gladbach job is still, I think that's still a pretty sweet gig. And, and I think people will still really be into it. Let's talk about the aforementioned Schalke. And really, there is a game from this weekend. We can probably dispense with, with, with extensive discussion. It's basically just a backdrop for everything that came after. So I'm going to be short and sweet. Stuttgart, they walloped Schalke. They were up 3-0 after 34 minutes, just scoring a scandalously easy goal after scandalously easy goal. 5-1 was the final. It could have been, you know, it could have been 5-2 if Nabil Bentaleb hadn't totally fluffed his penalty kick 
no matter. The real meat here, though, is that in the lead up to this game, we heard reports of a player revolt going on against coach Christian Gross that had sort of been bubbling up in the press in the days leading up to it. And, you know, the next day after this, this, you know, dreadful loss, they just had an absolute clear out. He got fired, assistant got fired, athletic trainer got fired, sporting director got fired. <laughs> Kata Planner got fired. Nick, would, do you want to do the, the honors with the roll call of all these these humans who are now looking for work? Uh, yes. Uh, Christian Gross at age 66 has told Swiss newspaper Blick that he indeed plans to return to the dugout. Uh, best of luck with that, Christian. This one went well. Rainer Wiedmeyer is uh, maybe going to join him as well. Uh, Werner Leutert was the athletic coach. Um, Jochen Schneider, the sporting director, who sort of has not really had the best of times at Schalke. Um, he had a better time in Stuttgart when he when the club won the championship under Armin Fehr some time ago that and then there's Sasha Rita former player who was the team coordinator he's gotten the boot as well and um, I mean what's really been worrying at Schalke is that Jochen Schneider was pretty much a dead man walking for over half a year and he was allowed to bring in Christian Gross who really raised a few eyebrows I was included because we were sort of thinking what are you doing with a 66 year old guy who hasn't coached you know, at top at a top class level in ages. I mean, pretty much his last top top gig was Stuttgart in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Yeah, and and I, I don't want to emphasize this is just about him being old. Although you know, sixty six is fairly old for a top uh, manager these days. But like, it's it's the time away issue. I remember when when Hanover tried to save themselves by bringing in Thomas Dole, yeah, who similarly had been away from the top leagues for a decade oh. he came back and it was terrible yeah even maybe even better example was Herter who brought back Otto Rehagel back in the day yeah, I mean Rehagel had yeah. been away from the Bundesliga for some time at that point and didn't work out because Rehagel hadn't moved with the times so you know the fact that Schneider was allowed to make decisions despite pretty much everybody behind his back agreeing that he was a goner after you know after the season not a great particularly great look now that that has happened, the club finds itself even deeper entwined into the relegation battle, and it, you know, they are beyond being saved. Really, I mean, Christian Gross can say all he want to Blick, uh, saying that yeah, I sh- I'm, I'm sure that this team can th- turn things around. No, they can't. This is not going to happen. Additionally, you know, when you th- look at the finances and the issue of Schalke having the state of North Rhine-Westphalia extending them a bank guarantee over, what was it, 40 million euros. Look at the wage expenditure at the club. Look at the clear-out they're going to have. Look at the chaos at leadership level at all, you know, all levels of, of the club. And you're sort of starting to think, maybe, I mean, maybe, just maybe, if they don't get their stuff together rather quickly now... They might be struggling in the Bundesliga too as well. For sure. You know, as, as somebody told me on Twitter, it's it sort of seems like Kaiserslautern on speed. Yeah. And the fact that Peter Knebel is now in charge of squad planning together with Mike Buskins. For those of you who don't remember Peter Knebel, he had a really ill-fated stint at Hamburger SV. You know, a club that Schalke are really giving a run for the money for the most chaotic club in, in Germany right right about now. So Peter Knebel had a really ill-fated stint there, which sort of culminated when Peter Knebel managed to forget a backpack containing 
information about the wages of all HSV players. That backpack was found by a lady who then was turned away by the club. And said, lady said, well, screw it. I'm going to go to the build side. And yeah, I mean, that, that is the guy who is now planning the future at Schalke. <laughs> it's not a great look, well, is I it? I mean, to be fair, Nick, who, who hasn't left a backpack with uh, sensitive financial information in a public park uh, at least once or twice in, in, in their time as, <laughs> as a sporting director? Just, just taking things back to sort of the, what the future holds for Schalke. They obviously, if, if they got rid of pretty much everybody who has anything to do with either the um, on-the-pitch product uh, in, in a coaching sense or as in a sort of planning sense. Do they seem to have a clear plan for the future? I mean, Peter Knebel is going to be taking over, uh, at least on an interim basis, as a sort of sporting director figure. Uh, Mike Buskins, one of their, you know, former, you know, Eurofighter, their, their, you know, UEFA Cup winning side, people who's who's acted as a, as a you know, uh, uh I guess an interim coach on the in the past. He's going to be an interim co-coach or assistant coach. But that space in the picture where the coach is supposed to go is still looking very, very cloudy right now. Is there an ideal person in mind to to, to take them either to the end of the season or on into the future in the second division? I mean, they have a couple of names on the list of potential subjects that could take over the club, and that is. Dimitri Giramosis, uh, who has some coaching experience at VfL Bochum and SV Darmstadt, so Bundesliga 2 coach. Then there's Stefan Baumgart, who um, has taken over Paderborn in the third tier, got them promoted twice on the bounce, and is now back with them in the Bundesliga 2. His, his contract is expiring at the end of the season. In the case of Giramosis, he's currently unemployed, so... If Gormosis gets the gig, they could hire him straight away, which means that, you know, Buskins could go back to being an assistant coach and helping Peter Knebel plan that super-duper squad for the Bundesliga 2 season. If they go, if they end up choosing Baumgart, he's going to see out the season at Paderborn, which means that Mike Buskins is going to uh, not only help uh, Peter Knebel with the squad planning, he's also going to be in charge of the team for the rest of the season. So Schalke are, you know, could potentially end up having six coaches this season if Buskins are coaching them in the next match and Gnosis takes over after the following match. Or they might just have five if Buskins uh, is replaced by Gnosis before the next match or indeed Baumgart is coming the following season. Yeah, yeah. I think either of those ideas show, whether it's Gnosis or or, or, uh, Baumgart, at least a sign of growth at this club that what they need for next season is a coach who has great intimacy with the Zweite Bundesliga because that is where Schalke are going to be playing. I think yeah, that's that's 95 or more percent certain. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Baumgart is probably the better choice in terms of that he's probably, you know, he's a very emotional guy. He's been in North Rhine's farm for, for some time. And I think he's the sort of person who would connect rather well with the fans. I, I, I look at him, even when he was at Paderborn, I thought that he was somebody who, you know, I, I didn't know if he had the chops for it to, to, to coach at a big, you know, sort of fan-driven club. But there's plenty of clubs, I think, who have a very very emotional relationship between the, the, the club and the fans that they would just love, 
love seeing him, you know, flip out on the sideline. And they would love to see him wearing his his sloppy shirts and ball caps. I mean, he's he's sort of like a, you know, remember remember what Klopp used to wear on the sideline, mm. you know, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. He's like the the sloppier version of that, and I I think a lot of fans really see a lot of themselves in that. It's the Jurgen Klopp casual look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I do have some doubts about both coaches in terms of the, you know, that talk tactical know-how and, you know, coaching at such a big club because that comes with its own challenges, politically speaking, and in, in a lot of other regards. So both of them are obviously going to be a gamble. But um, I think, I think what Schalke have realized is that they're not going to get anybody better at this stage into this chaos because... You know, Ralf Rangnick is not never going to answer that phone call. They, from, do, they, they, they do need a sporting director and a coach in one, perhaps. But, well, no, let's say that it's one wage. Um, yeah. Okay. Do we do we have any um, any further reflections on uh, what the future might hold for Schalke or or for Stuttgart for that matter? We don't want to sort of completely de-emphasize how how you know dominant they were in this match, despite the fact that they only beat Schalke. I think Stuttgart are. On a really good path. Schalke on the other hand side, as I said, I think they have to make the right moves, have to get in the right people as quickly as possible. Their signings need to be spot on. They need a good mix of talents and experienced players who can win you a fight in the Bundesliga too. And, you know, getting that mix just right is going to be key in order to get promoted back to the Bundesliga. And, uh, you know, going as I said, going by what they're going to have a at hand in their budget it's going to be a tough tough task because if they're not careful enough here they might very well end up staying in the Bundesliga too longer than they they've envisioned yeah yeah and and you know we have seen some you know immediate bounce backs I mean you know at least one of the times Stuttgart went down they went straight back up and you know Frankfurt and Hertha have managed that these are roughly comparable size clubs although I think even even that's a kind of an understatement. Schalke is bigger than all these clubs. They're bigger than any of those clubs. They're bigger than Hamburg. They're bigger than everybody except for for Bayern and Dortmund. It's 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 like uncharted territory. So that is an advantage, of course, because once fans get back in the stadium at you know Gelsenkirchen, that's that's going to be like a singular atmosphere in that league. But the pressure. I mean, if, if they thought the pressure was on at the end of this season, I, I'm sure that if they're in the second division last year, every every single game that they don't win is going to engender Krisengipfel uh, or something. One of those, like, uh, <laughs> real, real freakouts of the press. Yeah. But, you know, having said that, you know, I've quickly, quickly have to mention that the next season we might as well see a very great Bundesliga too because Nuremberg are going to be there probably, St. Pauli are there, Hanover are going to be there, Düsseldorf are going to be there, Karlsruhe, former great Bundesliga side, are going to be there. And, you know, HSV, right now, they uh, are in, entangled in a bit of a promotion fight. They might not be getting back. So, you know, having all of these sides joined by Schalke is going to make for some tantalizing matches. Indeed. So... That in itself is going to be great. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, a result that really shocked a lot of people uh, across the league, but not our 
TF fantasy pundit Flo Reinecke, who seemed eerily assured on last week's podcast that Werder Bremen were going to get a result against Eintracht Frankfurt. And so it happened. Nick, you, much like Flo, have a, have a green and white heart. But be honest, were you surprised or did you have also a, a sneaky good feeling going into Friday's game? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I didn't. No. Frankfurt had been 11 matches unbeaten. They had just beaten Bayern. But, you know, I, I sort of had that, that sort of like one thought that struck me is that once you've beaten Bayern, it's sort of a typical go-to move for some sides of the Bundesliga to follow that up by losing to, a, you know, what you would consider to be a subpar side. And that, that's exactly what Frankfurt did. Yeah. After that kind of climax, we all know through biology, there is a refractory period. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes things happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that climax, it, it looked like it was going to be extended. But when Silver got uh, at the end of a corner fairly early on and, um, you know, Werder Bremen's prize, they were still protesting the corner call, the call that gave Frankfurt the corner because obviously it wasn't a corner. It shouldn't have been given. But, you know, VAR doesn't look at those decisions. When it's a corner kick that's been wrongfully awarded, VAR is not going to say, well, it should have been a goal kick. So that goal stood. But, you know, after 20, 25 minutes, Werder started to get more and more into the match. I mean, Frankfurt failed to score that second goal that would have given them, them some peace and quiet. And suddenly Werder started turning it up a notch, hitting the crossbar, getting a goal ruled out, out for offside, clear offside through VAR. And in the second half, they continued, you know, producing those chances. They had the margins on their side twice because both goals were really close calls. And yeah, in the, in the end, Theo Gerberselassi and Joss Sargent made the difference for Werder Bremen. And that it was a great night, but a um, massive win for Werder Bremen because obviously that takes them now um, eight points clear of the relegation playoff spot and nine points clear of the relegation zone. With a game in hand against Arminia Bielefeld, who are also down there in that relegation playoff spot, it could potentially mean that Werder Bremen could start planning for another season in the Bundesliga a little more than a week from now. That's got to ease a few minds in, in the north of Germany. But I guess one, one sort of subplot from this game that I wanted to dip into a little bit was just how much like bad blood yeah. there seemed to be. Going into the game, during the game, after the game, continued for a couple of days. Like these are not Bremen and Eintracht. These are not natural rivals. They usually are just two clubs that don't really care about each other in a in a visceral sense. But that seems to have changed recently. What's going on? I think it's sort of a question of, or it's sort of a a spat at leadership level. Because I, I you know, I don't think that Bremen fans or Frankfurt fans don't feel an awful lot of animosity towards one another. But I mean in the past what really rubbed Werder the Bremen the wrong way was when Eintracht Frankfurt had that uh, Bundesliga match uh rescheduled after the Europa League match had been rescheduled. Which was really came at a bad time for Werder Bremen because they were entangled in a relegation battle and they needed points wherever they could get them and um that rubbed Werder Bremen the wrong way. Then there was that tackle of Philip Kostic on Irma Toprak, which sidelined Toprak for quite some month. Adi Hütte, uh, after another match, uh, demurred that uh, Florian Kofeld was uh, too 
loud on the sidelines saying that it isn't good for his heart. So there have been some sort of verbal attacks going back and forth between the two sides. And now what Frankfurt are saying is that Bremen's supportive staff sitting in the stands were, you know, being too much involved. They were swearing. They were protesting referee calls too much. And they didn't, you know, Frankfurt didn't take well to that. Um, Thank God for Adi and Freddy uh, that fans are not going to return to the stadium for some considerable future but you know i mean that that it's and on the other hand side you've you've also had martin hinteregger let's not forget that who said that he particularly enjoyed playing against shitty players especially davy selke which in turn (laughs) meant that bremen's players you know uh, had a go at martin hinteregger verbally on the pitch which in the end almost ended up in a fist fight between him and niklas fulkrug as they were going back into the dressing room. Bruno Hübner and Florian Kohfeldt also almost got to blows going back into the dressing room. So it's sort of like a case of there is a lot of, you know, there's not an awful lot of love lost between the leaderships or the players, but uh, it's really hard to tell where it all started, is it? But it's sort of like a thing that has developed over the years. And to think that Frank Bowman, before he hired Florian Kohfeldt, even spoke to Adi Hütte about taking over Werder Bremen. It now seems, uh, you know, such a strange thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. One name that was sort of sandwiched in there briefly, uh, although he didn't get really involved in this particular spat. We got some some not quite news, but um, it's 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 getting inching ever closer toward news. Sky Sports Germany are saying that Freddy Bobic, basically what a lot of people believe is sort of the architect of, of Frankfurt's success over the last five, six seasons or so, is on his way out there. It's not exactly clear what his next move is, but the uh, rumors are starting to swirl more and more that he is interested in taking over uh, Michel Preet's old job at Hertha BSC. This is a kind of interesting development, not only for Frankfurt, who, you know, I, I think probably owe a lot of their success to some of the work that he's done, but, you know, for Hertha too. Hooray. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, guys like Freddy Bovich are probably going to go where they are figuring that they can have the biggest impact and the most success. And Herder does have a lot of untapped potential. A, they have a big-time investor who seems to be willing to put a lot of money into that vanity project of his. B, there's a lot of untapped fan potential there. C, you know what? If uh, if Herter were to get to the Champions League, they could also generate an awful lot of sponsorship deals that and you know getting money rolling that way and additionally berlin is an attractive city to get players to but um so is frankfurt so that is sort of you know i, w- I would say that's on level par even though if i were to choose i'd probably prefer come on now come berlin. on now <laughs> frankfurt has a bigger better airport but I-, I know where i'd rather live yeah i mean i know where you have lived you have lived in <laughs> berlin Sure. No, I like Frankfurt too, by the way. Yeah, Airport is great. Hausmann's good craft beer selection. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I think I think that's pr- pretty much his thinking there. But, you know, as, as that thinking is, and if, if that is indeed his thinking, uh, you have to say it's also a huge gamble on his part. Because you never know with guys like Lars Windhouse when the money's running out, when he's going to find out that he's bust again. 
you know, it, um, or if he just loses interest, if he wants to sell this club to somebody else who's not going to put as much money into into that project. So there's always the danger of, you know, that gamble of Bobich not paying off in the end. I mean, I think really the only great danger, and of course this is a real danger, is is for Hertha to be relegated. I think that's the only event, and even that I'm not certain, that's the only event that would cause Vinthorst and, and Tenor, his, his shell company, to actually pull the plug. He has said a lot of times that he wants to be there for a, a long way to come. And, you know, Freddie Bobich, one factor that we haven't yet mentioned, but I think it's probably worth mentioning, is that... Um, former player, yeah. He's a former Hertz player. I mean, he's, he's a former player several places, to be frank. But uh, his family lives in Berlin, and he has sort of always maintained uh, a connection to the place. So maybe he's looking for a long-term home himself. And if he thinks he can get good support, see it as a long-term project... You know, a lot of people mentioned that, uh, you know, he was uh, having some pretty intense conversations with uh, Hertha's new CEO at the last game at the Olympiastadion. It's, it's, you know, seems fairly likely that he's probably discussed this at length with the people in charge at Hertha. If he, if he thinks that this is a job that's worth leaving Frankfurt and, you know, Frankfurt's a great situation. That's, that's also a club that you can really, you know, go far with if you get things right. If he thinks that it all adds up, then, you know, Good for him. Mm. Yeah, indeed. But then again, there's that, you know, Herta staying in the league thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nick. <laughs> I, I guess I did mention it first, so I can't I can't just blame you. But this week was another just gut punch for Herta. I mean, since Paldarda has taken over, I don't think that they have yet played a truly bad game. But <laughs> they've picked up, what, one point? One point, yeah. One point since then, they doubled up on Wolfsburg in terms of, of chances. Their XG was more than twice as much, yet they still lost 2-0. And they lost uh, Sami Kadira, Nemanja Radonjic, and uh, Mateusz Kunja. All those guys left injured from this game. It's, it's getting very, very difficult to take. I mean, I find myself literally every weekend suffering like – a terrible, you know, downturn in my like outlook on life because it's just it's not working out. <laughs> yeah, and, and you have to say, you know, you, you really wonder where those points are going to come from for Hertha. And if you if you take a look at the next three matches, boy oh boy, that match against Augsburg next weekend is going to be absolutely key and crucial. Because ideally speaking, they want Augsburg not to get out of their relegation fight too early. So they need that win. That win would take them within five points of Augsburg and maybe, just maybe, three points away from the relegation zone. Uh, at best, if, if that, you know, if, if Mainz loses their match. So that in itself means that this match is going to be absolutely key for them because the next two matches after that are against Borussia Dortmund and Bayer Leverkusen. And yes, Bayer Leverkusen sort of looks like a side that hasn't really got and is, isn't really, it's, it's not really working for them either. But it's always going to be a difficult match. Uh, as for Wolfsburg, yeah, thoroughly fortunate win for them. Klunter's own goal was completely unfortunate. I mean, he, you know, it's one of those balls where it's put into the box. Defenders don't have 100% control of where the ball is going. And if you're unlucky, yeah. You might end up putting him, putting it into your own net. 
Second thing, uh, the, the late go by yeah, it's a set piece. You can concede from a set piece in certain situations against a side like Wolfsburg. But before that, Cohen Castiles was really the man of the match. I mean, we mentioned on, a, on an earlier episode that he's had a clean sheet for quite some time. He hasn't conceded a goal now in, in 666 minutes of play, which is edging ever closer to Timo Hildebrand's old record of 885 minutes without conceding a goal from, from play. But, you know, whilst he doesn't, didn't necessarily have to work for it hard in other matches, this match he really pulled off two or three or four really good saves that uh, were key to keep Wolfsburg in the match. Because, let's be honest, if Hertha would have been slightly more effective, they would have won this match. Yeah, that's the sad truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it right there. Hey y'all, it is Matt Herman here on Talking Foosball. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. It's a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle, it was created to give everybody the opportunity to take a podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you don't really know where to start, Hustle is a great place to start. As part of the program, you're going to receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to a community discord, an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we're going to help you get your show pushed out to Apple, to Spotify, Google, Stitcher, other listening platforms. And the best part is it only costs 15 bucks a month. That is basically the same rate as other hosting sites would charge you just for initial setup and, and you know putting your pod out into nowhere. Whether you're starting from scratch, if you have an existing show, that's also good. If you want to grow it, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Okay, acceptance into this program is limited. Get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That is bwhustle.com slash join. Okay, here's part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day that just uh, happened over the weekend. It was match day 23. We should probably address what happened at the the very summit of the table. Uh, you know, last week, Bayern coach Hansi Flick said he wasn't looking for excuses when, you know, faced with the fact that his team had dropped five points from the last two matches. But he said, that, you know, you can't really get away from the fact, excuse incoming, uh, that the, 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 the team had been missing some very vital players. You know, Leon Goretzka was one of those guys who had been out for some time due to, you know, some some COVID issues. Thomas Müller, of course, uh, was was in that category. Are those guys coming back going to sort of sort out some of those problems that we saw Bayern going through? I, I mean, you definitely saw a change to Bayern's performance in midfield once Goreska was on the pitch because he really tied things together for them. You know, I think Kimmich and, and the Bayern midfielders probably missed Goreska because, you know, you don't necessarily spot him all the time in midfield, but he does a vital job for them. And additionally, what his, you know, uh, absence has shown or did show was, was the fact that Bayern don't necessarily have the same depth in their squad this season compared to last season. But yeah, Goreska returning was was a was a great thing for for Bayern. Obviously, he provided I think two or three assists. 
Additionally, you had Robert Lewandowski getting another couple, and he's getting ever closer to that Gerd Müller record. Nabri also had a great performance off from the bench. He's now on nine goals against FC Köln, which is absolutely insane, given his young age. So yeah, it was it was a vintage Bayern performance in that they were producing a lot of chances. They were really effective as well because the XG suggested they should have had around three goals, but they scored indeed five, which now means that they've actually outdone their XG by a whopping 17 goals. Yeah, it's, is- it's funny what happens when you have the best striker in the world. You know, that, that's not everything, but it, it's a factor. Yeah, I mean... In, in some of the previous seasons, Bayern actually scored fewer goals than they should have. And now, you know, once they had had an awful lot of pressure on them, they suddenly score a lot more goals than they should have. It's funny because, I mean, that the next team on that list, in terms of being an overperformer, in terms of expected goals, is actually Bayer Leverkusen, who scored between 9 and 10 goals more. But, you know, the rest of the teams of the league, they are far, far away from such numbers. Yeah, I guess we probably should should talk about who, you know, Bayern are playing next weekend. And we can sort of do that first by mentioning their performance on the weekend. This is, you know, Borussia Dortmund, of course. Der Klassiker is, is on tap. They pretty much got a dominant performance in a game that they should naturally dominate. Uh, they beat Bielefeld at home uh, 3-0. I, it, it's got to feel nice for... Dortmund fans to get to get some predictability. You know, you look at that that uh, that fixture on the schedule. You, you think, all right, uh, that should be three points. They got the three points. They, it was not really in any doubt. Yeah, I mean, there was that one moment in in the first half towards the end there when Cordova had had a chance to make it one nil, and that came after Dortmund had wasted chance after chance after chance after chance. I mean, hitting the crossbar, Royce. And yeah, there there were really some 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 good saves by Ortega as well in there. But um, you know, in the forty first minute, Ortega Cordova suddenly popped up, having having a brilliant chance to make it one nil. And uh, you know, who would have who who knows how the game would have turned out if he had taken it? But uh, that sort of served as a wake up call because Borussia Dortmund have had too many matches where they've simply produced a lot of chances and ended up giving away points for free against lesser opponents this didn't happen because in the second half they uh, you know they started taking their chances uh, Modahood with a with a lovely long drive to get them off the mark and uh, from there on out it was really never in doubt who was going to win that match yeah yeah we saw some of the uh, the, the, the vintage Dortmund stuff that everybody likes to see in a sort of you know quick interplay moving up the pitch at speed with you know a lot of combinations especially that goal that that I think Renier finished off that you know went through Sancho and Holland and 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 it was you know I'm not going to say they're going to do that to Bayern but it's good to see them you know working their way up to a big game by by getting a, a good attacking performance yeah indeed indeed but um as for Bielefeld uh they actually um were the most talked about team on Monday yeah yeah they uh they dumped their coach with a Neuhaus who is going to be sort of down in that club's history as the coach that got them back into the Bundesliga. It's a big deal for a club like that. And it seems like a lot of fans were not particularly happy about this decision. What, Other than the fact that they are a good bet to go down, 
which means that any coach in that position is sort of on a hot seat. What what lies behind this decision? Well, I mean, if you take a look at like a cursory glance, you have a club that's set at the start of the season, we are going to fight against relegation, and we are going to do so for the entire season. So right now they're in 18 points, same points, same amount of points as Hertha, uh, and the position uh, ahead of them. And they are in the relegation playoff spot, which means that if they should finish in that current position, they still have the destiny in their own hands. And that is pretty much, I mean, if you would have asked the officials at Arminia Bielefeld, would you be happy with a 16th spot in the Bundesliga and take it here now, if I could guarantee you that spot at the start of the season, they would, all of them would have said, yes, yes, we would gladly take that position because Arminia Bielefeld has the smallest budget in the league. So, it's not really about where they are on the table. It cannot be. Because when Neuers came in two and a half years ago, he took over a side that was struggling in the Bundesliga too. He got them to a mid-table first, then he made them completely overperform in the Bundesliga too, and got them promoted ahead of Stuttgart. And now he, you know, his team has gathered enough points to be in with a shout to stay in the league. So the issue, it seems, and that has, you know, been communicated by the club in Bielefeld is that in times of crisis, Neuhaus isn't communicating enough, and that is rubbing uh, Sami Arabi and some of the sporting leadership the wrong way. Additionally, Neuhaus is maybe not the mold of coach that the club wants going forward. Yeah, yeah. This this gets a little closer to like what I think probably is really the deal. Mm. You know, it seems like in the statement, if you read between the lines, they first say, actually, we had planned, we were going to let him go at the end of the season. And he knew that, like, it was clear that, that both parties knew that this was a relationship that was going to end at the end of the season. And they don't say, like, strictly that this is the reason, but they then go on to say that we want to make our club into more of an Ausbildungsverein, a, a club that, that trains young new players and then sort of sells them on. And maybe a coach like Uwe Neuhaus, who's a bit of an old schooler, who's a bit of an, you know, a, a guy from a, a I don't want to say a bygone era, but he's not a sort of dynamic young coach that you sort of see as a as an Ausbildungsverein trainer. Maybe they just he's, he's, think he's a bad fit. He's one of the oldest coaches in the Bundesliga, and he's having his first season in the Bundesliga. You know, I mean, he's been around the block a few times, but it, that block has mostly been in the Bundesliga too in the third division. Yeah. So anyway, who are they bringing in to, you know, fulfill their mission of becoming an Ausbildungsverein. Frank Kramer. When I tweeted that, journalist Mikhail Jokin, brilliant guy, follow him on Twitter, uh, writes great articles, uh, remarked that he, they probably brought him in because Cosmo Kramer wasn't available. But um, Frank Kramer, his managerial experience at top level is not really that extensive. He had a dreadful time as an interim coach at Hoffenheim. Afterwards, he coached Greuterford and got them to the promotion playoff spot, which they, that promotion playoff, they then lost against HSV. And after that, he coached for a little while at Fortuna Düsseldorf, got sacked there as well, and uh, moved then into youth coaching, where he's been at the DFB. And of late, he's been in charge of the academy of Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. Now, that that sounds like a guy who you want to be in charge of a, of a club that is training for the future. Someone who is dealing with RB Salzburg Academy players. That's 
at the moment that's very much in vogue yeah and i mean maybe having an in at rb salzburg and getting some of the academy players because some of those academy players let's face it are probably not going to be good enough for the first squad for the first team squad in uh, in salzburg but they may be able to do you know to help out Amelia bielefeld yeah yeah i mean eh, we'll see we'll see i mean i think it's a great accomplishment to have bielefeld in with a shout to stay in the league at this late stage of the season. But I, if they're thinking in the long term, I get it. Yeah, I think that change would have made absolute sense at the end of the season. But, you know, that thinking that we have to get that new impulse, we have to do that now in order to make sure that we stay in the Bundesliga. It, it sounds awfully reactionary. And um, you know what? Um I, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's disrespectful to Uwe Neuer and the work he's been doing because obviously the work he's been doing at Bielefeld speaks for itself. Indeed, indeed. All right, speaking of staying in the Bundesliga at all costs, this week's Rescued from Oblivion edition is very much on the money there. It is Mainz and Augsburg and uh, <laughs> the tale of a misfiring goalkeeper. Take it away. Here comes Reese. Reese, uh, you're, you're here to rescue a, a game from oblivion, as is, is, is your job. Uh, last week, we really did kind of stretch the believability, the, the applicability of this term. But I really feel like this week, this is like the platonic ideal of a rescued from oblivion game. I mean, this is, this is one that I believe, considering the quality of these two sides, as well as the sort of fan impact within the Bundesliga, this is, it's hard to get closer to oblivion than us <laughs> yeah definitely and it was one in which Mainz completely gifted Augsburg the win or should we say Zentner did I mean it was a they handed it to them on the plate um it was definitely a day to forget for Zentner it was one of those moments where you just want the ground to swallow you up I doubt Andre Harm will ever score an easier goal in his career than, than that one yeah how, how exactly did this go down yeah so <laughs> when the ball came back to Zentner it seemed like he was going to play it out but he just played it straight to Augsburg and it was on a plate um, and he just squared it and, and Harm was there to tap it in. It was crazy. So he was not even under pressure in any way? No, I wouldn't really say he was under that much pressure at all. I mean, goalkeepers are, of course, always under pressure when, when players are running at them, but I wouldn't say it was any like pressure situation. It was just very bizarre, i say. Perhaps he could, I don't know if he'd maybe talk about the pitch, that's so true. I don't know if you saw it taken a big beating um, of all the harsh weather in Germany recently. But um, yeah, I don't think there was any excuses for this one. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It happened so early in the game. I mean, it was like about a half an hour in or something like that. Clearly, his teammates were, were not particularly upset with him. They were really giving a lot of pats on the shoulder. And, you know, even his coach, Bo Svensson, after the game, said something to the effect of, you know, he's he's saved our bacon a bunch of times in the past, and he's going to come back from this. But it is hard to avoid <laughs> the conclusion that Robin Sentner is a really big part of this result. What does this result exactly mean? Let's talk about first for, for Augsburg, because, you know, th some, some, you know, players hit the post on both sides. This was not a game without action, at least in maybe the last 20 minutes or so, but it was not a thriller. So I would rather maybe think about what this all means. These are two teams who generally go into each season wanting to beat the drop first and foremost. How close now do you think Augsburg are to, to, achieving that goal? I think they're really close. I mean, this was their first win in five. Um, it's been a pretty strange season for them. 
they obviously started so well, but then they deteriorated to the point where they become involved in this relegation scrap. But now this win has really given them some breathing space between the chasing pack. They're now eight points clear of 16th place uh, Bielefeld, who obviously occupy the relegation playoff. And I think the main problem for Augsburg this season has been inconsistency. Um, they've had some good wins along the way, but they haven't seemed to back any of these wins up. And score, I think scoring goals has, has probably been another of the big problems. Um, getting Niederlechner to fire in the way that he did last season, or uh, Grigoric and Finn Bogerson, between them they've scored barely any goals. Yeah, yeah, they've been very, very patchy, both in form in general and especially in goal scoring. I'm not quite ready to call them home and dry. I mean, eight points is a nice gap between them and that uh, relegation playoff spot. You mentioned Bielefeld being in that spot at 16th. They, of course, have that game in hand from that canceled or postponed game from Werder Bremen. And, you know, Hertha are also on 18 points, which, you know, bad for them. But Augsburg, I still think, have some some trip-ups in the future, potentially. I I look specifically at next week uh, going away to Berlin, you know, Obviously, <laughs> I've talked about the travails of Hertha all season long. They are not playing that badly at the moment. They actually, you know, kind of should have gotten something more out of that Wolfsburg game. You can say that about a couple of others. After that, they have a Gladbach. They're home to Gladbach, then away to Freiburg, then home to Hoffenheim. That doesn't look to me like a stretch where Augsburg are very likely to pick up very many points. No, I think that's right. I mean, they've got some some games coming up after that. They've got Schalke and then they've got, they've got Bielefeld. But in between that, as you say, it's, it doesn't look very good. But at the same time, eight points at this stage of the season as well is, is a big stretch. And it is not something that's going to be easily made up by the chasing pack. So I think they've just done about enough. I think they will pick up a few more points along the way just to get them over the line. But I don't think it's completely done yet, as you say. Yeah, I mean, I guess the interesting thing we have going on this season is, you know, Schalke, who are completely marooned at the bottom. <laughs> and and since Mites have started to pick up the pace a little bit, that race for the relegation playoff spot is going to be very tight. I think Mites are now well in it, despite this loss here on Sunday, not only because they have piled up some results as of late, but, you know, looking at their future fixture list, that looks pretty juicy in a lot of ways. They've got, you know, I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches that look to me like ones that they could potentially get at least a point out of. I'm starting to be pretty bullish on mites. Yeah, and I mean, Svensson's obviously come in. Um, new coach has provided not only a confidence boost, but he's got those wins that you've discussed against Mönchengladbach, Leipzig, they've beaten Union, they got that all-important point at Dortmund. And many have compared him to, to Thomas Tuchel, really, both for his tactical side of the game and the way he works with the players and how he asserts himself in training. Everybody seems to know their role. And although they didn't play that well today, Christian Heidel has come out and said that, you know, Svensson's completely overhauled the way the players train. He's got this firm and intense schedule going on. And whatever he is doing seems to be working for the most part. And of course, it's all been done without Mateta. Um, they brought in Robert Glatzel as a, as a replacement, if you if you like, for Mateta. But he's not on the level that, that Mateta was, was working at. Before he left Mainz, he had scored almost half of their goals for the season. 
um, before he made his way to London for Crystal Palace. Yeah, I guess where I want to end this is where, you know, your your heart and your head might be clashing. I, I know you do have a little bit of a sympathy for uh, FC Schalke 04. They are in <laughs> a great deal of chaos right now, as I'm sure any listener who, who cares about Schalke already knows. This is a, a huge game, not only for Schalke. They need to pick up any points they can as fast as they can. But um, for Mainz, too. Mainz are still under the gun. They, they've done a lot of good work under Bo Svensson. But, you know, if they can't get themselves over that last hump, then, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to compare him to Thomas Tuchel for very much longer. <laughs> yeah, I think Schalke, I think most people know, I think Schalke are gone. But I think Mainz are a better team than Bielefeld. So I think the relegation playoff looks like a strong possibility. And whether they can avoid relegation altogether, though, I'm not so sure. And you mentioned that Mainz's next few games are quite favourable. But in fact, their last four games of the season is absolutely hideous. They've got to play Bayern before they travel to Frankfurt before playing Dortmund, and then they end the season away at, at Wolfsburg. Ooh. So if they are going to survive, they need to pick the points up fast. Yeah, they better they better <laughs> stuff some feathers in that cushion, or uh, <laughs> they're going to get a, a very sore neck come the end of the season. <laughs> All right, Reese, thanks for uh, rescuing this game from oblivion. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. Definitely. All right, let's talk now about a couple of teams who, you know, have no business uh, with relegation. I mean, Hoffenheim was was down in the dumps for a little while, but they have sort of picked it up a little bit. And Union, of course, all season, despite um, despite the the doubters like me, have actually been a really solid side all season long and have sort of been flirting with Europe. Big news from them is the return of their attacking talisman. Max Kruse. He was away for three months and it took him what? Uh, four minutes. I don't know. Four minutes. Four minutes to get on the score sheet. Uh, a penalty is how he did that. Ended up as a 1-1 draw between these two sides. And I can't say that um, Max Kruse's, you know, contributions throughout the remainder of the match were were particularly scintillating or, or was the was his, his team. But it was enough to get a draw. And, and that was, um, you know, that was enough. Do you think that Hoffenheim are going to be sort of bummed that they didn't get a, more than a point from the Alta first time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the XG, if you look at the shots created, if you look at the fact that they had a goal ruled um, ruled out for offside by a very close offside called by VAR uh, towards the end there, Katarabic goals uh, goal obviously didn't stand there. And, you know, Going by the fact that Hoffenheim had, had the better of Union for almost the entire second half, yes, yes, of course they are going to feel like that they should have done better, and they are probably going to feel like when they played against Molde in the Europa League on Thursday, where they had 27 shots and Molde had three, and they still lost 2-0, they felt like they should have done better. So, yes, Hoffenheim have proven themselves to be ineffective in front of goal and they've done so on many occasions this season there were some rumors at the start of the match by the way about Sebastian Hoeneß being on his way out Alex Alexander Rosane uh, Hoffenheim a sporting director refuted that saying that quote this was absolutely piggish a sauerei as he said of the press to write just to basically just make shit up as he put it it's hogwash it's hogwash <laughs> yes hogwash <laughs> 
gosh golly. <laughs> yes. So that that is uh, so it looks like Sebastian Hoeneß can be assured that he will have a job at Hoffenheim next season as well. All right. Uh, speaking of jobs, um, it's sort of the subtext in in the this next match, uh, which will conclude the show. We're not going to talk a lot about it because you, Nick, are actually um, preparing to do uh, a deep dive interview with a representative of you know Leverkusen fandom. It's a pretty pretty sobering result, however, for Bayer Leverkusen. It was a two one loss at home to SC Freiburg. I can't imagine that this bodes well for Peter Bosch, their their coach of the last, you know, few seasons. This has been a crazy, crazy come down, considering this team were top of the league going into that showdown with Bayern back in December. They hadn't lost for I think the first what, like 12, 13, 14 games of the season. 12 matches, yeah. Match 12. Day 13 against Bayern. And now they have just been on an absolute, you know, zigzag course in search of consistency. All of the sort of defensive stinginess that they used to be able to rely upon is not really there the way that it was. You, you're seeing sort of weird, bad decision-making going forward. It's it's not looking good for for. The big Bosch man. Yeah, I mean, they've they've lost five of their ten matches since that Bayern match. Half of them. They have been beaten by lesser opposition in the two cup competitions they were participating in. And, you know, losing to Rot-Weiss Essen is sort of a romantic cup tale that we are all loving and we are... Sure, it's a one-off It's well. one-off, but it's frustrating for, for Bayern because not to be in the quarterfinal. Which you know, sort like them, they want that. That's where they want to be. That's a, the minimum target for for that season is to get into the quarterfinal, if not the semifinal. And additionally, being beaten by a young uh, young boy's burn in the Europa League. That's worse to me. That's much worse. I mean, I know young boys. They what? They won three much three titles in Switzerland in a row. I mean, this is a good team, but it's a Swiss team. Yeah, come on, don't do that. Yeah. It's a bit like uh, it's a decent lager, but it's not a German lager, is it? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, but yeah, it's it's absolutely absolutely dreadful results. So in terms of the results they want in those three competitions that they were participating in, they have failed in the DFB Pokal, they failed in the Europa League, and now they are failing in the Bundesliga as well. So Rudy Fuller said at the start of the match that Peter Bosch is his plan A. B and C. I'm wondering what his plan D is going to be. Yeah, because me too. <laughs> that immediately makes me think of who plan D is. Because, honestly, I mean, despite the fact that Bayer Leverkusen produced 22 shots uh, versus Freiburg's six shot, what really was lacking that they, they those 22 shots, there weren't enough clear-cut chances in them. And, you know, allowing Freiburg to counter-attack with purpose on two occasions is, is too much against a side like Freiburg. And, um, yeah, it's frustrating because, uh, you know, you see that Bayer Leverkusen does about 70% of the things right that they need to do right, but the last 30% is just not there. And that, that's been a story for, for the last 10, 12, 14 weeks. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Lovely seeing you again, Nick. Great to see you again, Matt. And uh, thank God you worked out <laughs> what was failing on your computer before we got online tonight. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, 
did they really have to make it so awful to get to, you know, I don't know, Catalina, Mojave, whatever California location uh, Mac is trying to take me to? Uh, just just get me there already, okay? Uh, you can follow Nick on Twitter, at Norm Musings, and uh, don't forget to listen to Talking Foosball's historic Match Day Moment series, as well as that Leverkusen deep dive we talked about earlier on the show. That's all on our Patreon page. We would love it if you supported the show. It really helps us uh, maintain a really high standard of production and invest in new products, projects, and invest in new projects. Although, you know, products could be on the way too if we <laughs> get our act together. Uh, it's lots of extra content for just a few bucks uh, or, or euros or, or whatever thing you uh, like to spend things on. If you want to contact us, hit us up at uh, Talking Foosball on Twitter or me at Mr. Matt Herman. Subscribe to the pod, rate the pod, rate us positively, please, and tell your friends if you like. This is to Nick's Demolio. 